you have your Bibles, turn with me to Zechariah chapter 7. That's where we're going to continue going through this minor prophet. Not minor because of insignificance, but minor because of the size of the book. We have seen up to this point in the first six chapters several encouragements. Uh, Zechariah has been... Uh, um, giving one encouragement after another to the people of God, that the temple's going to be finished. Your, your enemies are not going to be successful. You're going to be blessed by the Lord. The kingdom of God is going to come. The Messiah is going to make it and be here. It will be his kingdom. Before we read chapter 7, though, I want to read a section from Matthew 23. Um, where Jesus is going to also talk about Zechariah. He critiqued the religious leaders of his day, as Phil said, for external religion. But inwardly, their hearts had been untouched by God. Jesus said in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and indulgence, self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but inwardly are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So Jesus doesn't mince any words with these uh, teachers and religious leaders of his day. Externally, man, they're tied into the least little leaf on a herb. Inwardly, their hearts have not been touched. Chapter 23, Jesus goes on and... Um, he connects his ministry to the prophets of old, like Zechariah. And he, he, he connects the hardness of heart of the religious leaders in his day to the hardness of heart of the people in the prophets' day. And he mentions Zechariah. And he says Zechariah was killed by those hard-hearted individuals between the sanctuary and the altar. Now it's striking though, because so far it's been all encouragement. Who, I mean, who doesn't like to be encouraged? Right? Mothers, you've got a whole day of encouragement. Thank you. Everybody likes encouragement. We like encouragement. Men will love to hear how good their country ham and their biscuits were today. I'm telling you, people love to be encouraged. That's all for six chapters. That's all Zechariah's been doing. Encouraging, encouraging. Hey, this is going to happen. So what happens to make them turn and murder him? What in the world is going on there? It's because Zechariah's going to have some hard medicine for the people. These people who had been beleaguered and, and worn out, and he had encouraged them. Remember, he had told them, don't give up, press on, the best is yet to come. What in the world would take place that now they would turn around and want to murder him? Well, 
As you might suggest, you may want to put on steel tap tip shoes because this is a harsh, direct address. The Holy Spirit uses things like Zechariah 7 to step on our toes more than a little bit. It will make us out and call us out. That's what we see here in Zechariah chapter 7. They did not like it when Jesus did it. They didn't like it when Zechariah did it. And some of us won't like it today. It's the reality. But the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And it's always been that way. It was that way in Zechariah's day. It was that way in Jesus' day. It's that way in our day. So, Zechariah chapter 7. Let's read it together. Uh, starting in verse 1. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is uh, Cheslev. Now, the people of Bethel had sent uh, Sir... I'm sorry, Sir Rezer and Regum Melech, sorry, I practice these things for hours, Regum Melech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priest in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Say to all the people in the land and, and, the, and the priest, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and the seventh month for these seventy years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves and, and drink for yourselves? Were not these words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous and her cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned the stubborn shoulder and, and stopped their ears that they might not hear. And they made their hearts diamond hard lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts had, had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called, and they would not hear, so they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with the whirlwind among all the nations, and they had not known. And the land that they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro. And the pleasant land was made desolate. So Zechariah chapter 7 and, and chapter 8 is a pivot point for us. 
In chapters 1 through 6, remember you had those eight night visions that took place. The second half of the book, Lord willing, as we get there, chapters 9 to, to the end, is going to deal with these oracles or these prophetic sermons. It's not just going to talk about the kingdom of God coming, but we're going to even have more clarity about the king of the kingdom, about Christ. Um, but in chapters 7 and 8, there is a sermon that's preached to the people in a context in which there's one major theological problem. Look at verses 1 to 3 there. Notice when this action takes place. The fourth year of King Darius, on the fourth day of the ninth month, with, which is uh, Chisleve. That, so that puts this about two years after the beginning of the night visions. Remember, he had all those visions in one night. This is two years later. So he's had a two-year sabbatical. And now he's back at it. He resumes his work as a prophet. Uh, and the timing couldn't be more important because in those two years, the temple has, they've begun rebuilding the temple again. So the temple, the walls are starting to come up out of the ruins again. And, and they're rebuilding. They're doing that work in these two years. In the wake of his encouragements that the temple would be finished, it's rising. It's going to be uh, three more years before it's finally completed. And so this is almost the halfway point of the temple being uh, redone. And it's at that point in chapter 7, Zechariah, the next phase of his ministry begins right here. So the temple restoration's about halfway complete. And uh, so Sir Rezer, Reglam, Melech, they come to Jerusalem. Notice they're sent here by the community. They're, they're sent as like uh, ambassadors, if you will, for the community of those Jews who've come back. But they're living in, notice, Bethel. Bethel. Nearby. And they notice the temple's coming along great. And the walls are being going up. They're going higher and higher every day. Worship is resumed. Exiles have come back. It's a glorious thing. And so over in Bethel, a debate has broken out. Worship wars have started in Bethel. Because previously, they have been observing a fast on the fifth and the seventh months. And that fast had been instituted to, to remember uh, when Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem and sacked the city and wiped out the temple, the, the destruction of the temple. But now they're not in Babylon anymore. They've come back to the land. The temple's being rebuilt. It's almost done. So the question is, do we have to keep on doing this? Do we have to keep on fasting? Do we need to observe the fast? Because that fast was, it, was put, it reminded us about the destruction of the temple. Well, now the temple's almost finished. And so they go to the chief, the priest, they go to the, uh, to, to the uh, priest to find out, do we have to continue to do this? Notice verse 3. Here's their question. Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? So they're looking for a yes or no answer. We need, should we do this? Should we not do this? All right? Here's the problem. They asked a preacher, and he doesn't have a yes or no answer. He gives them a two-chapter sermon 
on for their answer. All right? He works it out. And he goes into it. In chapter 7, he's going to have strong words of rebuke for them. Um, and he's going to point out, here are three spiritual diseases that are plaguing their, their lives. And then he's going to go on and say, if these diseases are not taken care of, here's two dangers that you are facing. And so I want us to look at those three diseases and these two dangers today. What does revival in the people of God look like? Well, it's not external. It'll be seen, but it begins internally, always internally. It's a matter of the heart. So let's look at these. Look at uh, the first disease that we see here, verses 4 to 7. Say to all the people of the land and the priest that when you fasted and mourned on the fifth month and the seventh month for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for your... Eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves. So here's the first disease. Empty religious performance. Empty religious performance. The, the, these ambassadors who have come from Bethel, they're wanting a yes or no. Uh, should we do this? Should we not do that? But no, no. Zachariah says, no, no. Your problem is much deeper than whether you should or should not continue to do this fast. Your religious observance. It's never been right. <laughs> For 70 years now you've been doing this fast, but your heart has never been right. You, outwardly, you have conformed in every way, and you sustained from food when you thought you should, and you wept, and you cried, and you lamented with the people of God, but internally, you were never right. For 70 years, you may have done all the outward things right, but inwardly, no, no, you had not done it for the Lord. You were eating, you were drinking. The whole time, it was all about you. It's all about yourself. Fasting in the Old Testament. We had our Sunday school class a few weeks ago. We talked about fasting. Uh, in the Old Testament, you say fasting, uh, it expresses a repentance of your sin and, and longing for God. So Joel chapter 2, verse 12 says, Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your hearts, with fasting and weeping and mourning. It was a sign of returning to God. Ezra chapter 8, verse 21, he says, I proclaim the fast so that we might humble ourselves before God. Okay? It's a repentance of sin. It's a longing for God. Fasting is about the ache of the soul for God, that, that I long for him. I need God. More of God. Do you need more of God? We won't ask for a raise of hands how many Christians actually fast. Even though we're not, we are not commanded to do it, it is presupposed that you will do it. John Piper said, Christian fasting at its root is this. It's the hunger of a homesickness for God. I want more of God. So I, 
if I'm abstaining from dinner tonight, what am I saying? I want God more than I want pizza, chicken, whatever it would be. I want God more than that, okay? That's what's being declared when you fast. And God says, when you fasted for these 70 years, he asked these two men, was it for me that you fasted? Was I the bread of life that, that you wanted, that, that you couldn't live without? Was it for me? Am I the one that you want? So the Lord diagnoses that their, their spiritual problem here, and he's right on it. It's not a yes or no answer. In fact, it's their very hearts are laid open, laid bare. Here's what's really going on. Here's your spiritual problem. Here's the disease. You've got an external form of religion. You say the right prayers. You, you can pray with your mouth. You can do that. You can sing songs. You can stand up and sing. Hey, some of us can even clap. Some of you are, have struggles with tempo, I know. I see, I see the white faces in the corral. I know. Some of us struggle with that. That's okay. We can do that. We can sing. We can clap. Hey, I can repeat catechisms. I can talk about my Sunday school lesson. I can remember all the Bible stories. I could fast on the fifth and seventh months of the year and do all of that and be focused on myself. That's a danger. That's a danger. And that's his warning. They, they have this empty religious activity. It means they do it and they do it outwardly, but it means nothing. And behind that hollow performance is a deeper problem. Notice verse 7. It's the same thing that Isaiah, that, that other prophets before the exile had pointed out. Isaiah had summoned the people to a true fast instead of false fasting, and that a false show, uh, they had been putting on this false uh, display. So Isaiah 58 says, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for the people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? So this kind of empty, external, religious performance, what he's saying is that empty, that performance, it can, you can do that and still be morally bankrupt. Your heart can be cold and wicked and bankrupt it can all you can you could be a christian outwardly only that's a dangerous place to be outward religion verse 9 says, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. Let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So, so what's been going on in the community? 
On the surface, their lives, their outward religious duty, uh, uh, that was all fine. But underneath what's been going on, this festering, rotting wound of immoral hearts. Okay? And that's the problem. And friends, that's a problem of epidemic proportions far greater than COVID would ever be in our churches. That externally we look okay, internally our hearts are rotten. Here it is. Zechariah calls the religious of his day to face it, and we need to face it. There is no Christianity that says you come to worship and then leave and live however you please. There is no Christianity that meshes with sleeping with your girlfriend. There's no religion like that. There's no Christianity like that. There is no Christianity that says I come and do my religious part, but then I go and I get drunk. That's, there is no Christianity that meshes with that. There is no Christianity that says, yeah, I'll go to church and I'll sing praises and how good it is for us to dwell together in unity. We'll sing the Psalms and truths of the Psalms, but then as soon as I get home, I can't wait to call my girlfriends on the phone and tell them or text them all about this other situation. Gossip. It doesn't mesh. You're saying one thing, living another thing. It's all, it's outward show. Christianity should be evident by a changed life. So Zechariah calls his people to repentance, to put on in the place, notice, right relationships with one another, patterns of generosity, compassion, patience, attentiveness, care, service. You do these things. Uh, James is... Uh, in the New Testament, it's just the same thing. Remember, if anyone thinks his religion, he is religious, but does not bridle his tongue, but, de he, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That's a question, good question. Is your religion worthless? Somebody's is. James uses it. Religion, he says, that is pure, undefiled, before God, God the Father, is this. To visit the orphan and the widow in their affliction. To keep oneself unstained from the world. Are you stained by the world? So, I mean, that's, that's the difference there. If I'm stained by the world, my religion is worthless. Look at the third disease. It even goes deeper than that. Empty religious performances, inner moral, just inner moral indifference. But what's the, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, right? And that's what you see in this third thing. Hard hearts, resistant hearts. Verses 11 and 12, but they refused to pay attention and they turned the stubborn shoulder and they stopped their ears you can get that, you can visualize that, can't you? They stop their ears up. Why? They make their hearts diamond hard. Why? 
lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts that had been sent by his spirit through the former prophets. So they had received the word of God. The word of God had come to them. The spirit had already exposed their sin under the searching, preaching, writing of these former prophets. But they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen to Isaiah. They wouldn't listen to these former prophets. And so, what's he say? Their whole bodies... Their whole selves have turned away. From the inside out, they've turned away. Isn't that language very uh, physical? Their stubborn shoulders, stopped up ears, diamond hard hearts. You hear that? From the inside out, hardness towards God. They're resistant to God's truth. Now, friends, that's a real problem. It's not just outwardly religious observance, four to six. It's not just this unethical behavior. They don't need some kind of behavioral modification. That's not what's needed. More, it's more urgent than that. Their hearts are hard. Your hearts could be hard this morning. Your heart. What's your heart like? What needs to be addressed? Friends, if you're here and you're visiting, I'm glad to have you. Your need is not to come to church more. Our greatest problem is a hard heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. I believe Dave Pallison says this. It's a great line. Just, it's easy to remember. You just reuse the words. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. So you can sing, and you can pray, and you can fast. You can listen to sermons. You can go onto YouTube, and, or you can listen to radio in your car, Christian radio. You can give generously. You give generously in the offering. You give generously to building funds. You can give generously to Lonnie Moon. You can do all these things. You can care about other people. You can do all of that and be lost forever and ever. That's the reality. That's the reality. You could be lost forever because you didn't understand that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. That, that true religion is a matter of the heart being renewed. It's a true matter is, is that you must be born again. What you need is not behavioral modification. What you need is not better songs or, 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 or uh, bigger vocabulary, just have better prayers. What you need is a change of heart. How do you respond to the Word of God? Does the Word of God penetrate you? Does it matter to you at all? Does the Word of are you changed by the Word of God? Has God's Spirit worked in you? And so that that heart of stone you used to have, it's been taken away, and now you've got a heart of flesh because of the gospel of grace. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, James says in chapter 4, verse 8. Jesus died. His, when he did, his own heart, remember, was pierced. 
It's punctured to cleanse you, to make you clean. The full penalty of our sin and the full uh, hardness of our heart, the, the, the disobedience, the, the rejection of God and the rejection of his word that, that we have done, the penalty of our guilt, the, our guilty hearts, that was placed on Christ on Calvary. He died that we might live. He was condemned that we might be pardoned. So will you run to Christ with your hard, guilty heart? Will you run to Christ? And you'll take away your old heart and give you a new one. Isn't that beautiful? And here's the other thing. He's the only one who can give you a new heart. He's the only one who can do it. He can take away your heart of stone He'll give you a heart of flesh. He'll give you a heart where his law is written upon it. His own spirit writes that law upon that heart so that what now? You love to serve him. It's a joy to serve him. Three diseases. Two dangers. First danger is a deaf ear for Christ's for deliverance. Notice verse 13. This is a, boy, this verse here will wake you up. Some of you said, I'm going to be sleeping after that big breakfast. This is the kind of verse that will wake you up. The Lord, this is God speaking. He says, as I called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not hear. That's a stunning statement, isn't it? Is, hey, I called and they stopped their ears up. They wouldn't listen. So when they call, I'm not going to. They, they wouldn't listen to my cause of repentance. They kept in their practice of sin and would not turn from it. So when the consequences of their sin fall on them, I'm not going to hear them. Friend, what right do you have to expect God to hear you when you continue to say, no, I will not listen to you? That's what he asks. Second spiritual danger, and last one. There is a coming judgment, right? Verse 14, I scattered them with the whirlwind among the nations they had not known. The land was left desolate so that no one went to and fro. The pleasant land was made desolate. So the people of God heard and would not respond to the prophets. And what happens? Babylon comes in takes them away for 70 years. They're hauled off to exile. That glorious city, Jerusalem, flattened. The promised land smashed. Covenant curses, the curses of God, they fell, it fell on those people. Judgment came. Well, friends, it will come on all those who do not repent who do not hear the word, of Lord, the word of God and turn and flee to Christ for mercy. This is the summons of his word. Judgment is coming. And what happens? If you don't turn, it's not a temporary exile. It's not going to be a, just a short period in which you, you're having some hardships. It's going to be permanent, outer darkness, Eternal exclusion from the presence of a loving God in hell forever. 
Now, think about that. You say, that's kind of alarming. Why would you preach about hell on Mother's Day? I'm not drawing any connections. I am saying this. I'm trying to alarm you. I figure there's people here today that don't come most days. I want you to hear clearly that there is a judgment that's coming. And if you do not respond, it will befall you. It will come. It's not a matter of if. It is coming. I do want to alarm you. If you profess to be a Christian, but you live in the world, you stand by the world, I'm trying to get you to consider, and I want you to ask yourself, is your heart been changed by the gospel of God, or is it not? Richard Baxter said the first and great work of a Christian is about the heart. Are you concerned about your own heart? Are you? Are you right with God? And ask, why are you right with God? Christianity is not about words and form and, and, and show. Judgment is coming. There is a judgment that is coming. God's not... There's no pleas for lenience. There's no sense to say, well, 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 well. I, I didn't listen to you, but, but I had this reason, that reason. No, no, there's no pleas that will be, be accepted on that day. Holiness is a necessary fruit of faith in Jesus Christ. Remember what James says, show me your faith without works. I will show you my faith by my works. Remember what Jesus says, no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from bramble bushes. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. A heart that trusts in Jesus Christ, it's been made new by the grace of God. What is the result? That heart bears good fruit because there's a changed life. So what does your life reveal about your heart? Has, have you answered the call of Christ to repent and believe? Listen, here... When we talk about judgment, church, church membership has, gives you no immunity from the day of judgment. No immunity. Praying prayers gives you no immunity on the day of judgment. Reading your Bible gives you no immunity on the day of judgment. None. A changed heart is what you need. A changed heart. Only Jesus Christ can give you that. My plea to all of you, would you look to Christ? Would you look to him? He is what you need, not behavior modification, not to try better. You need Christ. 
All I have is Christ. Would you do that now? Would you look to Christ, call upon him to save you now? He will change your heart. Would you flee to him? I pray that it would be so. Flee to Jesus and do it now. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you. Trembling in the knowledge that, that through you, um, our hearts are open and bare. You, you, you know what is in here, not just what you see on the outside. We only know what we see outside on one another. You know what's in us. Lord, you know of hard hearts and, and stubborn hearts. You know, oh Lord, when we've turned to you and yet there, there's just remaining corruption in us that we need to continue to repent from and turn from. So Lord, we ask for your mercy and your cleansing. Your word says that you are faithful and just to forgive. If we confess our sins, you, oh Lord, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we would repent and we flee to the only fountain that's been opened for our sins, that the, the filthiness of our wounds and the uh, immorality that's in our hearts, uh, those diseases of, of empty external religion and hard hearts and and. and Moral indifference, O oh Lord. Heal us. Lord, I pray. I pray for those members of Emmanuel Baptist Church who only know of external religion. And I pray that deacons would be saved. And people that have been here for 50 years would be saved. And I pray that the youngest, most precious child among us would be saved as they look to Jesus. And that pastors would be saved. That we would not trust on external show. That we, we would not count on how lovely our songs are or how generously we've given Or, or of meals that we've cooked one for another. But we look to Christ and all that we have is Christ. That he is our only hope. Lord, I pray for those that are not saved. Would you pierce their hearts? Show them their bankruptcy and their need for Christ. Stir in them a warning of the judgment that is to come. Cause Christ to be beautiful in their eyes. Lord, would you pour your spirit upon the seed of your word and water it so that it would bear fruit in a harvest of repentance and faith among this body. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen.